Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Tom Wells here. Today is Friday, March 16th, 2018, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Your first daily dose of happy for this wonderful Friday. And it's been a wonderful week. Every single day has been great. We've had a good <laughs> podcast. And I'm not kidding. Every single That's day has been great. Yeah, it's been really good. And of course, every week is good, but you know this is the week we're in right now. So this is the one that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You know, you know what I always thought was so funny—not always, but um, in the last years, since especially since being involved with Abraham, but even before that, when people say they had a bad day, I always think, how how could the whole day? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, didn't you have anything good? I mean, and yet, of course, when you're depressed. That could happen, but I think it's an old cliche in the society when people decide to label their whole day bad just because something didn't go right, or isn't that? I think it's a psychological turn people make that's kind of like fatal. Like why they start thinking of it as ruined by some one event or something. Oh yeah, uh, well I mean, and then, how, how, and then their day gets made by one good event, right? Yeah, right. Well, hopefully, if it, if it can well, be made by one good event, that's usually a great turnaround right there. Most people don't is. even get that far. They just get hung up on the bad events. But I, I was yeah. responding to a post on Facebook today. Um, it was a, I believe it was a woman who had posted, she works in the medical field, and she'd had a bad day, and, and it had been a really rough day, you know, lots of rough things happening. And so I wrote back to her something to the effect of, you know, well, the good news is you're in control of your own uh, feelings about it. You're not dependent upon what happened in the day. You, you, you get to decide what's going to happen and what, you, what, what your reaction is going to be to what happened. So if, yeah. for example, if, if someone's dying, you can choose to focus on the fact that they're dying or you can choose to focus on the fact that they're alive right now. Uh -huh. if, they're, and, if, they're, if there's a problem that came your way and somebody was complaining, you can focus on the complaint or you can choose to focus on the solution to the complaint. It's, it's it's entirely up to us which, what what we focus on in any given moment. So even the stuff that we call bad, it just depends on how we decide to look at it. Yeah, and that's why our topic today, you know, the subject of death or croaking or whatever you want to call it, is so much the exact same thing, which is mind blowing when you think about it. It's just, you know, in in a sense, one reason I kind of wanted to do this show today, even though it's a in a sort of taboo topic, like, like, oh, don't talk to me about that. Oh, my God. You know, that's the last <laughs> thing I want to talk about. There's a part of me that feels that way, you know, and then I wonder if listeners, you know, they said, oh, Tom and Walter are going to talk about death. You know, it's like, I think I'll pass on that, that podcast, you know, but, you know, it's so funny because it's the exact same thing. It's like, well, it's just our attitude. And yet we, we could be cultivating an attitude of resilience and, and hope and possibility around death rather than a sense of finality and endedness. And, and then of course the worst than that is the morbidity that society through centuries has, has, you know, put around death, you know, that it's just an absolute morbid, horrible thing mm. and therefore avoided at all costs. And in a sense, but you got each, I think each of us has to ask ourselves, am I running from it? Am I terrified of it? Because if that's the case, you know, or I just, I just absolutely hate to even have the subject anywhere around me, then it's like, I feel maybe we're in denial of the fact that it's going to happen to all of us. And not only all of us, but to everything that comes alive goes through the same transition that maybe. You know. I, I love what Abraham has to say about death, or specifically yeah. about croaking. They love the word croak. Yeah, and the reason right. they love the, croak, the word croak is because it's so disrespectful. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's so disrespectful. They, it, it's so disrespectful of death. And, and they like that because they want us to lighten up about death. Totally. They want us to remember that we are non-physical beings who came into a physical world, and while in the physical world, we were both physical and non-physical, contrary to what most humans tend to believe, that we were once non-physical and then we become physical. No, no, we, we actually remain non-physical when we're also physical. And then after the physical part ends, we continue to be non-physical. So we're non-physical throughout. It's like there's a continu continuity yeah. there that never ends. And therefore, death is not like the end of everything. It's actually a pretty joyous thing. In fact, there's a really interesting thing that happened um, in our own family. Um, Louise's uh -huh. stepmother, Ruth, died, uh, let's see, when did she die? It was a year ago, 
in the summer. It, it, it was two summers ago, I believe. Uh-huh. And we went to visit her literally a day or two before she died. She knew she was going to die. She was pretty old. She was like in mm-hmm. her 90s, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, she had decided that she didn't want to keep putting up with the medications and so forth. So she had ordered her medications and it, and she knew that meant the end was going to be really close. So we mm-hmm. went to visit her. And, you know, it was sad because obviously, there, you know, it's saying goodbye and so forth. But I, yeah. I remember vividly what my last comment to her was as we left. And it was a pointed comment because I knew her own beliefs about spirituality and so forth were fairly limited. Um, and, and she was kind of facing you know, what, from her point of view, was a difficult thing. Um, after we'd said goodbye and we're getting ready to walk out, Louise is actually already walking out. And I've tr- I'm, like, passing the foot of the bed. And I turn to her and I say, with a smile on my face, you've got a really exciting adventure coming. And she gave me this <laughs> quizzical look. And that was the last thing I said to her and I walked out of the room. Now, we don't think oh. of it that way, do we? But it really is an adventure. <laughs> there is an adventure about what's coming afterward. Oh, yeah. it, because all the reports that we've gotten from people who have you know, some sort of psychic ability or whatever is that the moment of death and the, and, and the reemergence into being just pure non-physical is an extremely joyous moment. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like this huge celebration that goes on. I remember mm-hmm. when my father died. My father died 10 years ago on Monday. And mm-hmm. a, a few days afterward, my sister, who does have some psychic ability she's developed, got a message from him. And what she finally realized it was him. Well, the, the way she got the message was she got a headache. <laughs> and wow. in, in the course of getting this headache, it was, a pretty, it was like a severe migraine-type headache, which she never gets. She had had enough training from you know, learning how to develop your psychic ability and so forth to recognize this may have been a contact. So she said her first thought was, obviously, Dad died just a few days ago. So, Dad, is that you? And she got back, yes. Almost instantly. And so my sister had tremendous presence of mind. She said, what's it like on the other side? (laughs) Dad just passed, right? What's the first question that comes to her mind? What's it like on the other side? (laughs) Uh And the answer that came back was festive. And festive has two meanings for me. First of all, it's a happy thing. It's like there's a celebration going on. And the second Uh thing is that I call it a dad word because my sister, I don't think my sister has ever used the word festive in her life before that particular time oh, it's just yeah she's yeah. she would more she's she's a she was a theater major she's more dramatic she would be saying awesome fantastic amazing you know that would be the kind of stuff she talked about festive that's not a, a sister word that's not my sister's word at all but it's definitely my dad's word my dad would definitely he would definitely give a speech saying on this festive occasion that would definitely be my dad so i knew it was my dad that way so you know here's a little evidence just one more little tiny piece that when he passed over, it was great. There was a wonderful thing that happened on the other side. Mm, that's beautiful. You know, I, I want to give a, a shout out to everybody who is in our listening audience who is perhaps going through something with death with either a loved one or in your own physical experience. Because I I do I do want to acknowledge that we're not making so much fun of death that we don't respect you know in fact we're not sitting here saying that this whole show is about making fun of death but i i want to let you know that i understand that we understand the deep feelings that people have for their loved ones and that when someone passes you know there is often a sadness and a and a great feeling of heaviness in one's heart you know because you love that person so much so there's no way that i want to diminish that appreciation that we have of others who are passing or have passed and, oh, sure. and, to, and to minimize that amount of wonderful feeling or deep feeling that we have. And at the same time to hopefully this, this show is to help all of us feel maybe we can relax a little bit about the seriousness about it and realize that as you were saying, Walt, that, you know, we are, we are, eternal beings here in physical bodies and that when we pass um as abraham said it's no different than simply closing your eyes when you go to sleep and opening them in the other realm and that other realm and there's no there's no real drama and trauma about it there are often drama there's often drama and trauma that takes place <laughs> right before we die right i mean if a yeah, person oh, yeah. dies in a violent way or they're suffering in a great deal of pain of course it's nothing to you know, laugh about or in in any way, you know, trivialize. But on the other hand, it is nevertheless, once that transition is made, 
according to everything that these non-physical beings are telling us, it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful festive festive occasion, as you say. Which is not what we normally believe, is it? That's not no. what we've been taught. That's not what our society tends to believe in. And you're right; that does create a gigantic contrast to what you know we, our normal experiences. And and for a lot of people, losing a, a loved one is really rough. There is no doubt about it. I do remember one thing that happened, though, in conjunction with that same death of Louise's stepmother that I think is really poignant and helpful to people who are going through the pain. Um, and it's really a good piece of information to use if you're helping somebody else who's going through the pain. It's harder when you're doing it yourself, but you can still do it yourself, too. It's just easier to help somebody else um, with this particular technique I'm going to describe. It's not really a technique. It's just a thing to do. Um, but when we focus on somebody who has passed and we do it in a way that makes us feel sad and really depressed and, and maybe even crying and, and screaming and you know, kicking our feet like, oh, how could this person be gone? And it's just not fair, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. When that happens, it happens and, and our reactions occur because we're focusing on the loss, right. right? We're focusing on the fact that that person is no longer here in the physical life. And we're treating that as this is my personal loss. This is a, a loss that is huge to me. And mm-hmm. therefore, I feel pain. I feel anger. I feel depression. I feel all the horrible things. Louise was going through that with the, the passing of her stepmother. And she mm-hmm. had, it was a few days after, she was just having a really, really tough time at one point. And mm-hmm. without even thinking about it, I, this was no plan of mine. I just kind of went and did it. I just went over to where she was. Um, she was sitting on the couch. I actually sat down on the floor in front of where she was. And I looked her in the eye, like square on, right? And I said to her, you know, I never really asked you this, but what did you love most about Ruth? Mm. And I tell you, within five seconds, her entire face changed because she hadn't been thinking about the love. She'd been thinking about the loss. Mm-hmm. Loss isn't love. Loss is an entirely different realm from love. And just by getting her to focus on the love, and she started telling me about what she loved about Ruth, oh, you could just see the stress just drip away from her body. I mean, literally, within seconds, all of a sudden, she was feeling better, and she was getting excited and animated and talking about stuff. Now, I'm not uh, trying to suggest that all of the grief passed, because mm-hmm. you know, it does take a little time to get rid of the grief. Um, and some people, it takes a lot of time because they spend so much time on the loss. But the point is, that's your root out. That's how you work your way out of the grief, by focusing on the love, by remembering the love, by thinking about the love, and by recognizing that the love never stops, just as the being never stops. The only thing that stopped was the physical experience, and that was it. I notice how many times when someone is in the chair and speaking to Abraham, how Abraham will quickly go to the fact that the person is not gone. And they they want the person who has had the loss to understand that it's it's not nothing has really changed. In fact, the person is closer. And I always think, well, that's going to be kind of hard to fully accept that if you don't have if you don't feel like you can communicate with the person. You know, you right. don't feel like you've developed that psychic ability. And yet, it's you know something they focus on a lot. I had a friend who. <clears throat> made really good friends with her neighbor across the street and his little daughter. And she really enjoyed the company of this man and his little daughter. And um, one night she, she woke up in the middle of the night and felt something was wrong. And she was having these dreams about um, things burning and so many things burning in the stream. And, and um, later she got up um, and she looked out her window and, and across the street, there was just fire engines and, and the house had burned down mm. where this man and his daughter lived. And it both of them had died. Mm. And she was just devastated, you know, because mm. here she had had the dream and perhaps she could have saved their lives had she had she gone to the window at that time. But she didn't she didn't have any reason to go to the window. And and then she she just was devastated. She was she loved this man she loved his daughter and she felt that perhaps she could have saved their lives and she was going through this great great grieving i think the next night 
in her bed the next day. She just couldn't do anything. Mm. And um, she looked up at one point and this man was standing at the end of her bed and he was grinning from ear to ear, she said. And <laughs> he, said, he said, he just wanted to let you know that everything's fine. You know, me and my daughter were, were wonderful. Everything's great. Don't, don't worry about us at all. And I thought, wow, that's that's pretty amazing. That's experience. quite an experience, yeah. Because yeah. clearly, she she had found a, a reason to feel some guilt over the way the whole thing transpired because she yeah. didn't call the fire department. That 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 right. means she did something wrong or something like that, right? Yeah, and, and, and so just, easy. Yeah, and just so the easy love to fall into that. Yeah, the, the well, the love was powerful. The love was huge. So to have that loss, and and she had in her mind created the idea that. You know, I I could have fixed this. I could have solved that. It's my fault. It's my fault. Well, it may not really have been her fault, but the point is, it was building in her mind that way, and just refocusing so, on the fact that there was his basically his spiritual image, and I think that's what we can say that was. It was a specter or whatever you want to call it that was talking to her, and it was very clearly him. It it basically changed the subject. It said, No, 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 no. Don't go there. Oh, we're fine. Yeah. We're, we're just fine. There's no need for you to go down that road. So, you know, we, um, we just have these long-term associations in our society with the, with the fear of it. And I, I do talk to a number of people in my life now who, when it comes around to death, they, they really feel that it's something that they don't know anything about and that there is no proof whatsoever that life goes on. And I'm I'm starting to sort of sense that that's probably there's quite a bit of prevalence of that belief, you know. Of course, if someone is in a particular religion and they believe that that religion has told them there is a heaven and that's where your you know your husband's waiting for you, your wife's waiting for you, your daughter, whoever has gone ahead of you is, and everything's going to be wonderful. A lot of people do buy into that too, but it's it's interesting. I, I run into a number of people who feel very strongly that that you don't that you just don't know until it happens. And part of me says, okay, but there is all these near death experiences, and there is a lot that's been written over many centuries about there being an afterlife of some sort. And uh, and of course, I think it's one of the reasons why I appreciate Abraham so much is because they've helped me to really back off hardly any worry about it. I think there's still part of me that does hold on to some, you know, concern, you know, and I think it's maybe just the part that says, I don't want to really leave this physical plane until I've really given it my all in the sense of I've, I've milked it for all the joy there is here because there's really no reason to leave this body until I'm really ready to leave this body. That's true. The thing that uh, I I heard really loudly in what you were saying there was their notion that we don't know until we get there, and I think mm -hmm. that's true. I mean, no, we really we we really don't know because knowing in most cases means experiencing, and mm -hmm. until you experience it, then you truly don't know it. Um, now, we could talk all we want to about you know multiple past lives and so forth and we've been through it before but you know what's the point if we can't remember it you know, that doesn't really help us with knowing it now so sure i agree we don't know it the real question isn't whether we know it i don't think i, I don't think that that actually is relevant at all now they may disagree with me that's fine but i really don't think it's relevant i think the real question is how do you feel about it because if if what you're saying is well we really don't know and but that's okay i feel all right with, about the whole process well then great no no big deal there's, there is mm -hmm. no issue going on. But on the other hand, if you feel like, well, we really don't know. And along with that is, and I don't feel real comfortable about the whole subject because, you know, I'm, I'm not real happy with the idea of, of death. Well, that's a different thing. That's a very different thing. So at that point, I'd be asking that person not, yeah, I agree that we don't really know. But what do you think happens? What's your, what's your best guess? Or how, would you, how do you feel about when it happens? And, and what choices do you make when it happens? What, mm -hmm. how, how do you handle it? What's, what's your way of handling it? Because really, that's the bottom line. It's like any, anything else in life. No matter what the event is, it's all about how we decide we're going to respond to it because we do control our own feelings. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and Abraham said that we pass into non-physical when we quit leading our own parade here and we start falling back in the ranks of the parade and let others lead and we stop having a stimulation that we're generating about why we want to be here. It says, then as we turn our attention more to the non-physical, that's when we make our transition. And he said, each of us make chooses when we're going to leave. It's really completely in our control, although it doesn't always seem that way. Obviously, Mm. you know, if you lose your daughter and she's 17 years old, you know, it's pretty hard to say your daughter chose that and, and, you know, knew when she was going to leave and everything is somehow in their control. It seems just more like a, a terrible tragedy and that you're the victim of and that she's the victim of and that, you know, there is some kind of a perpetrator there, whether you call it God or the person who pulled the trigger or however it had happened, you know, that the drunk driver that caused that death of that person. And, you know, again, I don't want to minimize that tragedy and, and the fact that, you know, a person wants to believe that there are victims and there are perpetrators, but, you know, in the larger scheme of things, it somehow could be that each one of us as an individual soul as an individual, eternal, infinite being, knows exactly what we're up to every moment of our existence and and our larger self is determining how we're playing this game here on this earth and when we're when we decide to go and how much and you know how long we decide to stay that's a hard concept too it's a sensitive concept it's one that it it creates a lot of difficulty for a lot of people who have um, viewpoints and and beliefs that have developed throughout their lives that are in conflict with it quite honestly Mm -hmm. and so yeah it, it creates a lot of difficulty i've seen people posting on uh, about cases of you know horrible things that happen to, to people and and the comments are always oh it's not your fault you know you didn't it, you, you didn't attract that it has nothing to do with you you know things just happen in life and so forth mm-hmm. and i understand where that comes from i understand where that that desire comes from to it, that it's all about uh trying to help the person get through the immediate moment right now and and all that kind of thing i get that but there is also another flip side to it and that is this there, it, it's a kind thing to do, right? To try to um, help somebody feel better, to say, "Oh no, it, it wasn't anything that you did," and all that kind of thing. And and that is kind. That that's there's a kindness to it. There's also another side to it, and it's a side that never gets attention. And I don't want to even spend a lot of time on it. But the other mm-hmm. side of it is that it helps to create a self deception, and mm-hmm. self deceptions have a way of coming back to haunt us. So I'm always a little bit leery of saying something. In fact, I'm always leery of it. It's not, not almost always. I am always leery of it. I'm always unwilling to say, well, no, you didn't attract this. I might not say that you attracted it, but I will not say that you did not attract it because that sets up a false paradigm in people's minds and they end up leading themselves down the line to all kinds of false conclusions that end up harming themselves in other ways in their lives, not having anything to do with death, just having to do with you know choices that they make. It's amazing how often, for instance, such people who say, well, there's nothing, you know, you, you didn't attract or whatever, have trouble when something else happens that's not morbid, that's not mor- mortal, that is, you know, just a more mundane thing. And then they have trouble admitting that in that case they attracted it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it turns into this ongoing pattern of, of belief that the only things that we attract are good things. We can't possibly attract anything that's bad. And so we mm-hmm. set ourselves up for failure after failure after failure, and we don't understand why. Why is it that every time I try to request something, it doesn't show up? Not realizing that we undermined it with something negative we were focusing on. You know? yeah. So so that's why I resist going down the road of saying, oh, no, 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 no. You know, it, you didn't attract this. I, I never do that. I think that's really bad for the person in the long run. I, melt, I won't necessarily say you attracted this, but I definitely will not say you did not attract it. Yeah. I just I just try to like move conversations toward is it a vib is it a vibration based universe or not and do like vibrations attract like vibrations and of course you can't always have any kind of conversation with a person who is feeling like you know I you know there I'm a victim of this or she's a victim of it and therefore don't talk to me about anything else you know mm-hmm. which is you know like you say people make that choice it also gives a person a permission to stay in a um 
in a belief system that says, like you, I guess it's the same thing you're saying, you know, that, that, that being in a sad place, being in a, a place of grieving, a place of great um, justification of feeling depressed and feeling overwhelmed with the sadness of life is justified, you know, and that that's, that's just the normal thing. And I, and I'm going to stay sad the rest of my life because I lost my daughter. You know, mm-hmm. I lost my son. I lost my baby. I mean, and I, unfortunately, I think some people do stay. Uh, it, it, it's just something that that's very hard to get over. And, you know, I don't, again, I don't want to minimize trauma. You know, it's, it's can be just devastating. And yet oh, yeah. is, is it, is it really the way, Ultimately, it seems like at some point a person has to say, is this the way I want to live? Do I really want to stay in this place where I reinforce over and over and over and over and over that I lost my child to this tragic car accident and I am not able to leave that place? Or is it really true that you could leave that place of your grieving eventually? You know, you it is possible to completely remember the resiliency of life, that the death of that other person was their choice on some level. So we are not completely so wrapped up with each other that we have to stay in grief because someone else had a tragedy. You know, I, I don't know, you know, it just, it's a very fine line between, you know, it's up to each person totally. And I respect completely each person's decision, but I did see these people on, on a television program not too long ago who the entire program was about the grief of this couple, this married couple who had lost their young daughter in a tragic way. I think it was a car accident. And this was like 10 years afterwards and they were still crying about it. And I, I, you know, and of course the reporter, you know, who did the piece maybe brought all it back to the surface, but I, I could tell from the whole show that they had, they had spent those 10 years in great, great sorrow and great grieving. And wow, I thought that's, that's intense, you know, to have so many years of your life where you just, you're living almost entirely for the fact that you lost this loved one. Yeah. That's well, that. you're stuck in it really. That, you, that That's a place of being stuck. And, and, and yeah, never but you could never it. say that to somebody's face, you know, you would never want to, you know, no, or some it would almost take a therapist to do show. something like that. I, 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 huh? It would almost take a therapist to do something like that, I think. Um, and yeah. I think, I'm thinking of our colleague, Joel Elston, who is a therapist and who mm-hmm. does exactly that kind of thing. Um, uh-huh. He even posted, well, this wasn't about death, but it, it, it's related. You can tell as soon as you hear what it is. He was posting about um, children, young people. And in his post, he says, robbing young people the benefit of struggle is stealing their future. Because struggle mm-hmm. forges character it even builds empires. Reinforcing your child's victim mindset robs them of their future and robs society of their potential. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing is true of everybody else. It's not just children. I mean, yeah, the yeah. victimhood mentality is a mentality that robs the, the victim of life. It robs yeah. them of, of, of their, their wonderful existence here in the physical plane. And, and staying in that space for 10 years at a time, it, you're, the more that you stay there, the more you're undermining your own life. It's a really important to move off of it as soon as you can. So, yeah, I agree with you. Reinforcing victimhood, that, that's one of the few things that I start to get upset about. Because when I see somebody who just is reinforcing victimhood for somebody else, my hardest thing is to calm myself down and say, please don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I even know people who, for example, they just feel so victimized, say, by the government. Or they feel oh, yeah. so victimized by you know, what's happening with the environment or something and the way that people treat animals and things. And they, but they're, they are literally, their whole life is caught up in the angst and the drama and the pain of say, you know, what dogs suffer, or what, you know, who we have in the white house, you know, it's just so painful to them that they are posting about it constantly on Facebook. They are talking about it constantly. And they really, when you hang out with them, you see they they just have lost so much of their zest for life because they feel like they can't be happy if that thing is going on. The same way a person could choose they can't be happy if they lost a loved one, you know, especially that losing a loved one before the time of that person, you know, feeling like it was a premature death. And, and But 
but is it's the same question, you know, like at what point do we say, is my happiness in this body, in this lifetime, worth more somehow? My own individual happiness worth more than my grieving and my and my angst and my anger. Um and and can I could I actually do more to even help the situation? I notice how Abraham, when they get somebody in the chair who's so so sad about losing a loved one, you know, it's often a, a mother who's lost a son or a father who's lost a child, and they, and yet they almost always turn that person towards the fact that that person has not left. That mm-hmm. this this thing right. called death is not what you think it is. It's not this huge veil of tears. That it's this this giant chasm that's now exists between you and that person. They said this person is right here with you. They are closer to you now than ever. And if you want to, you can get in touch with them. But you've got to decide you want to be in touch with them. And yet that seems so painful because we we identify so much with the physical form of things that we don't want to believe in the unseen realm. You know and. I love how sometimes a person who's grieving like that, they'll read one of these books about someone who's had this near-death experience or they've died on the operating table and gone through this amazing experience going to the light through this great tunnel. And they're, they've had this experience of joy that is just off the charts. And then they, they're brought back into their body and, they, and they're never the same. From then on, they live their lives with such gusto and such love because they've seen that being here in this body is just wonderful and that there's nothing to fear about going to the other side. And this person who's been grieving so much about losing their loved one suddenly sees, oh, I guess I can, I guess I can back off all this, all this angst. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so cool when that happens, you know, because they, in a way, it's like, I've, I've been wanting to do out-of-body experiences because, because the people who do that out-of-body travel say, that's what happens. You get this experience is so incredible that you see that being here is awesome. You know, that you're not, you're not living to be in that other realm. I think and, probably, uh, probably too, the most important thing, whether you do it through out of body experience. I mean, for me, that's not really a big thing, but for other people like you, it is, and that's fine. Well, but I don't problem, know if it, I'm a little worried about doing it. I haven't done it yet. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, maybe, maybe well, not. Because, <laughs> because I was reading this thing where Abraham said, said that you leave this realm when you turn your attention to the non-physical. Oh, I that's see. when you leave this realm. And I'm thinking if I, if I'm focusing a bunch on wanting to experience the non-physical, I could just end up leaving this realm. But, Nah, not necessarily. Theory? I mean, because no. when, we, when we look on our inner being and we talk to our inner being, our inner being is not physical. Well, we're focusing on non-physical at that point. That's so true. what? You know, it's not, okay, I'm going to focus on my inner being. I'm dead. No, 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 no. That's not the way it works. <laughs> well, I'm, do- it works. I'm doing it to get more gusto for life, actually, because I, I have had the experience at my age where going into my 70s, I'm like, I've had more experience of feeling the presence of death. You know, it just it seems like the older I get, the more I'm aware that, well, it's going to happen, you know. And and so I want to be um, – and I think I've, I've sort of run out in, in my life to some extent of the gusto I had because when you – when I lose my ability to do the, mo- the more exciting things I've done in my life because I physically just can't do them as much anymore, then I, my mind starts to drift towards moving on. You know, it, it, it wants to be in the gusto. You know, I really want to be in the gusto. Mm-hmm. And, and so going into the non-physical realm, the people that I'm reading who have done that, it, they really understand about gusto. You know, they, they understand about a zest for life. And that's all I'm really looking for. I, but they say it's an incredible adventure to be on the other side of this divide between what we call physical and non-physical. It's really awesome. But I'm, I would want to do it in order to come back here and have more enthusiasm to play music, more enthusiasm to have loving relationships, more enthusiasm to go into the mountains or down to the ocean, you know, or whatever, you know, turns me on. That's what I want to live for. I want to live for the zest of life. You know? I, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Last of the Blonde Bombshell starring Judy Dench. Um, if no. you haven't, I recommend it. It's a wonderful movie. It, it'll just cheer oh. you right up no matter what. Um, oh, cool. But it's the story of a woman who, uh, at the beginning of the movie, the movie begins with the death of her husband. She's at the funeral for her husband. And oh. at that funeral, um, well, a couple things happen, including one thing that proves to be funny later on. 
um, at the, uh, uh, it's actually not a funeral, it's a memorial service. And at the memorial service, they play some of his favorite music. And his favorite music was Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> and I can't, uh-huh. I can't quote exactly what she said because I, we try to avoid swearing here on the program. So I'll, I'll rephrase <laughs> it a little bit. But um, she's sitting there kind of sadly listening to this. And, and one of her children, or I guess it's her granddaughter, leans to her and says, uh, is this making you sad? And she says, no, I hate this bleeping tune. <laughs> but then shortly after that, she, um, uh, she's still sitting in the, uh, uh, the memorial service hall. And her family, her, her children are outside. And they're trying to figure out you know, how quickly to move her out because there's another service coming in immediately afterward. You know, apparently they do the one every 20 minutes in this place and so forth. So there's a lot of pressure to get out of there. But she's still sitting in there. Her granddaughter uh, volunteers to go in to get her sits down next to her, and Judy Dench, Dench's character turns to her granddaughter and says, Joanna, can I ask you something? Can I ask you for some advice? And her granddaughter, who's very young, says, well, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, what's the best way to show respect for the dead? And her granddaughter says, that's easy. You go on living. <laughs> and Judy Dench's character says, that's right. And they get up and leave the, uh, the memorial service hall. And that's probably the most important thing to remember. How, what's the best way to, re, to show respect for the dead? What's the best yeah. way to, to love the dead? Keep living. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, the more time that we spend not living, staying in depression, staying in that bad place, and, and insisting on focusing on the loss, is disrespectful to the dead. I mean, we don't want to think about it that way because the pain is so strong, the, the suffering is so strong. But truly, someone who's passed on, can, can you think of anybody in your life who passed on who would say, I want you to be so sad that I died? Yeah, right. There, right. Nobody's going to say that. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to be a really monstrous person to say, I want you to suffer the rest of your life because I died. Right. <laughs> the, so, so no one who passed on wanted you to feel that way. They didn't want you to stay in that place. So, of course, it's important to live. It's, it's important to not just live, but to live joyously, because that's what they want for us. Right. And, and you really, when you think about it, you don't judge life. Well, we don't, I don't want to judge anything, but you don't evaluate life by quantity of years lived. It's by quality of years lived. That's right. So, you know, it's, it's the joy that really is the whole reason we're playing the game of coming here. And being in this physical existence. And I was looking at the topics of all of our other shows, other than the one we're doing now on death, you know, and every other show is about life. It's about living joyously. So you look at every topic that we've picked for every podcast that you and I have done, and I'm sure every podcast that's done on the LOA today is about getting to the point where you have more enthusiasm for life, for the joy of living. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really all we're in a sense doing here every day. I think about this entire day ahead of me. All I'm doing is every second asking myself in a certain way I'm doing this is is am I enjoying this? Am I having fun? Am I or am I looking at something that's going on right now and putting a pall of seriousness over intensity, fear, worry, anxiety, whatever about what's coming next you know or am i thinking i'm not enough of something or i'm not i'm not happy enough i mean any kind of judgment and blame or shame and the same is true of somebody who's grieving or someone who's who doesn't believe that there's an afterlife or whatever it's like we're never wrong for anything we're doing the only question always comes back to are we making that little turn towards joy are we are we relaxing and choosing to be in total forgiveness and acceptance and enthusiasm for the fact that life is meant to be a joyous adventure? Right. I've always been an admirer of the way that they conduct funerals in the French Quarter of New Orleans. Do you know what right, I mean? Right. Because no, yeah. because what they do is you know they have the funeral and after the funeral their their little jazz band that's you know at at the funeral will play the funeral dirge and then after playing the funeral dirge at the end of it the trombone will go and then they'll they'll kick into some high-paced excited you know new orleans jazz type of tune and it becomes a dancing celebration thing 
Right. And I always thought, whoa, what a great <laughs> idea it is to do that. You know? Yeah. It, because the difference between a funeral and a wake, you know. That's right. Yeah. Well, a difference between a funeral and a celebration is really what yeah. it is. Yeah. You know, you know my, my sister had cystic fibrosis, and she was the youngest one in the family. And she fought cystic fibrosis her whole adult life. You know, she was kind of okay up till her late teens, and she was going skiing and even tried drugs and she eventually even met a man and they, and they adopted a child. And, but she was, her health started to deteriorate more and more from age 20 on, but she lived to age 36, which was a long time for someone with cystic fibrosis oh, yeah. to live. Sure. And eventually she'd gotten uh, a liver transplant and now she needed a lung transplant. She was on oxygen all the time. And finally she just couldn't, she just couldn't keep struggling to stay mm -hmm. alive. You know, sure. Her mm -hmm. body had gotten deformed from all of her that she had been through. It was just suffering, but she was so happy. She was such a resilient, beautiful human being, just a, just a shining, shining. She was very small, you know, and great big lungs, you know, because of just the effort to breathe for her whole life was so hard, you know, so hard. She had such a coughing. Well, okay. She's finally, she's in the hospital and she's dying and everybody in the family is there. And I have a family of about 45 members, you know, and everybody's in that hospital room with her Wow! and she's dying and the nurses are coming in and out and the hospice workers and everyone is encouraging her and loving her and god it was it was so beautiful and 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 finally she takes her last breath and everybody cheers and oh just my. applauds and all the nurses come you know wow and it was just all down the hall you just hear this cheering and everything and and they said they've never seen anything like that you oh know? yeah yeah that, what just, a powerful experience yeah, it was oh. so beautiful. And I, um and then we went home and we just had this, you know, just this party. You know, my dad was crying uncontrolled because he was so close to her and my mother had passed a year before. And it, it turns out my daughter, I mean her my sister passed on practically my let's see, what was it? It was like I think one day after my mother had passed the year mm -hmm. before, you know, and they were so close. The two of them were like peas in a pod you know mm -hmm. and of course my mother always carried this guilt you know that she had given birth to a daughter with cystic fibrosis but i just felt this in, this incredible beauty you know it and everybody who was a a relative to the family you know who was who had, was an in-law they just have said you know that i can't believe your family how how could you guys you guys are so in love you know with each other and with life you know and i thought it was so beautiful that it happened that way and that that our sister had come into that family to somehow live out some of the pain of my family and then to take it out of the family in a way she she carried it in her body and and when she died it was there was a certain freedom that came in the family you know so wow that, that that's a i give your family a lot of credit for that one that was just phenomenal that they had the presence of mind to celebrate the passing that way. That was just really great. I mean, mm -hmm. seriously, that was a fantastic thing. And it's not something that most people are able to do in that moment. So kudos to your family for, for being open enough to be able to do that. That is a remarkably good example. Remarkable good example. Yeah, I think that's really the way it is for all of us. And we don't, I don't know, we, we just, tragedy is so... It's accepted, you know, it's just like the same way that I live my life every day. And I believe part of me believes has believed so much in the fact that it's difficult. It's, it's hard and it's, and it's a struggle. And I just am, well, I'm just constantly shedding that, you know, constantly saying, I don't want to live in the belief that it's hard. You know, like I, I'm giving a speech today at my Toastmasters speech club, you know, and they say that the only thing worse than death that people fear is giving a public speech. <laughs> so you're going to suffer a little death today. Is that the idea? <laughs> exactly. And it's true. You know, and I've, as I've been rehearsing it, you know, I, I say, why am I, there's so much, you know, like drama around wanting to do this right. And it's, and it's, it's the same sort of feeling, you know, and what I keep realizing is 
I'm only doing this speech and I'm only in this Toastmasters club because I want to have fun. Mm. It's really only because I want to communicate love and joy to people. And it's so funny that I would, you know, and I have to keep reminding myself that that's the thing people want to see when I get up in front of them. They don't want to see a guy struggling to give a good speech. They want to see a guy happily giving a good speech. They want to see a guy joyfully you know up there and if he makes a few mistakes so what the thing they want to see is his innocence and his his resilience and his joy that's right sure oh yeah and that's and that's all i want to experience and i've said that even to people at the toastmasters club i said i'm only here because i want to have a good time giving speeches Mm, yes very good very very good you know when you told the story of your passing of your sister there it reminded me of what happened when my dad passed because um, uh-huh. I, I told you how uh, my sister got that, that psychic message from him. Well, yeah. that psychic message had a really profound effect. But it, there, were, there were two things going on here. Because my dad's death had kind of been prolonged. My dad suffered from Parkinson's disease. And I don't want to go into uh, graphic detail, but I'll tell you that over time what happens with Parkinson's is that, among other things, it gets into the throat and prevents you from swallowing, so you can't eat food, so you starve to death. And I won't go any further than that. But the point is, you can imagine, it was not really pleasant watching my father go through that. And I actually wasn't right nearby. I lived a couple of, mile, couple of hours north. It was my, my mother and my sister who were there for most of it. But uh-huh. you know, that, that's pretty rough to go through that. So when he passed, it was a relief. You know, it, it's yeah. not like a situation where there was this, this accident that happened and, oh, how could that possibly have happened? And it came out of the blue. It was a complete surprise, all that kind of thing. You know, we knew it was coming, but it was like this draw, long, drawn-out, painful thing. And i got to tell you, Tom, during that time period, that's when I did my grieving. I was so mm-hmm. upset for my father having to go through all that pain, the mm-hmm. suffering. Mm-hmm. He was going through some really bad suffering. At the yeah. time of his passing, the suffering ended. Mm-hmm. The suffering was done. And I felt yeah. su- such relief. It was the most amazing thing to me that afterward I didn't have any more grief yet. I had done all my grieving before he died. And, mm. you know, that's not the way you're supposed to do it, right? You're supposed to do your grieving <sighs> after you after the person dies, not before. But yeah. that's not the way it was. So, so if you can imagine this, we had the memorial service after he passed. And here we have my mother, my sister, myself, my brother, um, my niece, and my wife were all in the little room. next to where the sanctuary is in the church where they had the memorial service and the minister is there with us right and we're having this conversation and we're about 10 minutes into it and it finally dawned on me why we were in that room it hadn't occurred to me at all it finally dawned on me he was there to console us and none Mm. of us needed consoling he was mm. you, you could see it on his face. He was the most confused person in the universe at that point because he knew what his what his role was and he had nowhere to do it. <laughs> there was no opportunity to console anybody because nobody was feeling grief. Ah, wow. And the, mo- the, the funniest part was... Well, kudos you know, to you guys. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it was because of the nature of the way my, my dad passed. Yeah. But, uh-huh. you know, we go into the sanctuary after that and we're sitting down in the front pew and he's up there and he's giving you know, his eulogy and so forth. And in the midst of it, he made this commentary about how impressive... Um, my father's um, impact on our lives were because he had taught us so well how to have such strong faith, how to have this, you know, th- this amazing level of faith. And I'm sitting there trying very hard not to snigger because I hadn't been to church in years. <laughs> my wife, not the same deal. My brother hadn't been to church in years. My sister went occasionally. My mom went more off. I mean, we were not like your typical faithful churchgoers. And here he is praising this huge amount of faith we had. And I'm just thinking, the people here have no idea how ironic this is. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, was, it was surreal. It was and the best part after that. Um, they have uh, their their little fellowship hall there, where they have you know the the that's the get together with with the food and and you know celebrating the life. And there's like the slideshow of my dad and all that kind of stuff. You know, so we're in there, and all these people in the church are coming up to us and trying to console us, tell us how wonderful he was and how much he's going to be yeah. missed and so forth. Yeah. And, and what it turned into is we were consoling them. <laughs> I, I have I, I can't tell you how surreal that felt. Mm. I, 
Mm-hmm. You know what the strangest part of the whole thing was? At one point, um, they were playing music that my dad liked, right you now in this part of the slideshow. And at one point, uh, a swing tune was playing. Well, my wife and I and my brother uh, <laughs> are, are all swing dancers. So my brother started swing dancing with my wife in the middle of the, of the fellowship hall in the middle of this gathering to mourn the passing of my father. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Just completely surreal. But to my mind, it also shows a much more healthy way to deal with death because we get to choose how we're going to feel about it. It isn't something where we have to feel horrible. It, we really have a choice. Right. Right, yeah, to feel that that heaviness is that heavy, heavy heaviness is just. But you know, I mean, in I, that shaman I worked with, who was part of this huge village in Guatemala, Mayan village. You know, he said that in that village, you know, that when someone passed, there was massive grieving, and everybody got into it. But I think, it, you know, in a sense, the way he described it, it was almost like ritualistic. It it had a life of its own and the village just dealt with it by following almost like this ritual pattern where they grieved and they grieved and they grieved and then it was over. But it, you know, so in a sense, there was that, that festive atmosphere in a certain way around it. And I guess every culture has their different traditions too, mm-hmm. you know, sure. and the way, the way they handle it. But I think it is pretty individual ultimately as to how each of us decides. Cause I know when my, mother and my father both passed, I felt a little bit guilty because I used, I kind of felt like I was the, one of the only ones in the room who wasn't very heavied out by it. I was just kind of like, okay. And I had had this, like I've said before, this teacher from India, since I was 23 years old, you know, who I had been following for 40 years, you know, and, and he always indicated that death was not a big deal. And so I, I mean, he, I, I wouldn't say that's totally true. He actually, he actually said, you know, that he actually made death seem kind of final, but he did it because he wanted you to understand how life is so important, you know, that it's really important to enjoy your life while you're here because it is a limited amount of time you get. Um, but that didn't acknowledge the fact that there was eternal life in a sense, you know, that, that there is nothing to be worried about. It's just a, a, a very simple transition, but I feel guilty, but, but I realized, well, that's just how I feel inside. I'm not, I'm not freaked out about the fact they've moved on. You know, I'm kind of okay with it. Um, that's, so, a good place, that's a good place to be because when we're in that place, then we can move on. Because that's what, really what we're trying to do. You know, those of us who are still alive, uh, who, who have lost a loved one, we're trying mm-hmm. to move on. That's, that's, that's the ultimate hope, that somehow the, the pain will pass, the grief will pass, and we'll be able to get on with our lives. The only time that we really truly stumble with it, because, I mean, yeah, sometimes we just have to cry the grief out. That's just the nature of it. But we don't want to stay living in it. That's where we get trapped. People like you were describing, uh, I, I don't remember the story, but you were describing somebody who was trapped in grief for years. I think you said mm-hmm. 10 years. Uh, loss of a child, I think it was, yeah. and you know, if you stay in that grief for years, you, you're you're in a you're living a horror. You're just plain living a horror, and it never goes away. It kind of reminds me of a client that uh, Joel told me about that had come in who had been in um, therapy for 15 years with a therapist who was convinced that even though she didn't recognize it consciously, she had been sexually abused as a child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so for years they have been trying to get at the root of, well, what can you remember? How did you feel? All that kind of stuff. And largely the person couldn't remember any of it, but she had bought into this idea that she had been sexually abused as a child. Now, sexual abuse is horrible. Let, let, let's not, you know, let's not uh, mince any words here. Sexual abuse, of, especially, particularly of an of a innocent child, is a terrible, terrible thing. Mm-hmm. And we don't really know, Joel doesn't even know whether it actually happened. Hopefully it didn't, but the point is, for 15 years, she'd been focusing on it. And so Joel's very, very first question to her, after she told him the story, was, so are you done? Because mm-hmm. at some point, you got to be done. Yeah. Otherwise, the horror goes on. And, and, and you yeah. know what catches my attention more than anything else about that story is, it would be really horrible if the event actually happened. But you know what's even more horrible? 
is if she lived those 15 years and the event didn't happen. <clears throat> because then she was traumatized for 15 years over something that never actually happened. Yeah. Well, is, is that any different from somebody who does have an event happen and they continue to live in the grief of it endlessly? Isn't it true that they are also traumatizing themselves? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the real they, trauma they, as far as I'm concerned. They can make they can make any choice they want. I think each individual is totally free. I think the thing with law of attraction that, you know, the reason for this podcast is that, you know, in law of attraction, we're saying to ourselves and to others, you know, you do have a choice as to where you want your focus to be. And it you're you're not completely at the mercy of these things now as long as we feel heavy 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 feelings um my friend who's a, a jungian analyst you know she would say i think that you know you've got to deal with letting this feeling in your heart be felt and fully experienced of the grief you're feeling of the sadness and the pain that you're feeling until you're no longer feeling it or as long as you're as long and maybe it'll never go away. Maybe you're going to feel some of that the rest of your life. But law of attraction would say, and I, I think so would a, a Jungian analyst, is that at some point you want to choose life because you're here, you know, and because life is a precious, a precious commodity, and the, the quality of joy that you feel in your heart will largely determine the quality of life experience you're going to have. So it's your choice, you know. Ultimately. You, 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 you might need to grieve and you might need to hold the extreme pain that you felt from that trauma for as long as you need to hold it. But at some point, you do have the choice to, to move on, right? Yeah, at some point, you have the choice to let go of it. Just as you have the choice to hold on to it, you also have the choice to let go of it. So it really comes down to one question. How long do you want to hang on to it? Or more precisely, when are you willing to let go of it? Right. And when are you willing to put your focus on to the thing that you would prefer to be feeling in your life? Which because is what it really can. takes. That's how you really let go yeah. of something. You don't do it by just yeah. saying, well, I just let go. That doesn't yeah. work. You, you do it by, well, by living, by taking on life again. Yeah. And yeah. That's, really, that's really what the, what the message that uh, Joanna, uh, the, the, the daughter of the granddaughter of the character that Judy Dench was playing, was telling uh -huh. her. It's all about yeah. choosing life. Mm -hmm. We get to choose life. If we choose life, that's how we climb out. Mm -hmm. And I think that and as I grow older and I know that what I want to feel on my deathbed, quote unquote, is I want to feel the same, that I'm making the same choice that I'm making every day, which is I'm choosing to live. I'm choosing to feel awesome about life. You know, like one way I heard Abraham describe it, they said, they said, you some people they just come to a point where they say um i'm here here's what the words they said um let's see whether it's someone who's been bipping along in their physical existence who's been meditating who knows the sweetness of connection on a day-to-day -day basis who then says ah this life experience has been so wonderful and i think i will now turn my attention to another aspect of my life experience closes their eyes as they put themselves in the bed makes their transition during the night and they're discovered as having made their transition in the morning or whether they have some violent experience, at, you know, at the hand of an enemy or a gun or something or a car crash and they make their transition. E either way, it's ultimately the same experience. So, you know, I like when they said, if it's a person who says, I now turn my attention to another aspect of my life experience. So in a way, death doesn't exist. It's just when you when you go from this side of the veil or whatever it is to the other side, you're just going to another aspect of your life. <laughs> and so I don't know the point I was making, but, you know, this this is definitely a um, I think that is the point. I think it's what an you're eternal saying is experience. You know, this, yeah. this experience we're having here, it's there isn't a big deal about death. That's what they're saying. It's really not a big it's deal. It's not. No. And it doesn't need to be a big deal. So we really, once again, have the choice. And that's the good news. Unfortunately, yeah. we have to kind of leave it there because we're a little bit over on time. But uh, oh, Tom, I'm glad that you brought this this topic up. This is a good one. And uh, I hope that you have a great weekend. And uh, let's do it yeah. again on Monday because we get to do it all Thank over Thank you again. all. All right. Appreciate it. All right. We'll see you all, all next right. time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.